And um, things like this is, are going to just start happening in the kingdom. And so um, just develop an expectation for it. You know, I would say just as weird as watching the world go through their delusionary cycle of like, this can't be real. The, 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 it, how many know what has happened in darkness is they've departed from, from the norm of even life. And so um, it's, really, it's really twisted, it's strange, it's odd to see. But God is about to take the church into a supernatural realm of life uh, that is beyond uh, the level of delusion that the world has operated in. And the beauty of the miraculous is no one can deny it. The atheist can't deny it. The non-believer can't deny it. No human can deny there was a mass and it's gone. <laughs> like your story ended simply and quickly. There was a mass and it was gone. And when the miraculous shows up, man, it removes a lot of question marks and it puts exclamation points on the experience of God as a father. And so I just want to encourage you, no matter what you got going on in your life, no matter what challenge you got going on, allow an expectation of miraculous to start to arise in your heart because God wants to show off on behalf of his children. And because he loves us, we've been through some hard times, um, but then he also wants to show uh, the people of the world that he's real and he's alive. And uh, there's just a, there's such a power in experiencing the presence of God that can't be denied. And uh, I believe with all my heart. You know, I was, I was driving to one of Ethan's games in Louisville the other day, and I was driving up there, and I was just talking to God. You know, it wasn't a moment where I was praying in the Spirit. It wasn't a moment where I was confessing the Word. I was just having a conversation with God. And, um, and I decided to convey uh, my yearnings. I mean, you know, you can have yearnings of heart. These aren't just ideas. These aren't just thoughts. Just like you, deep in your heart, you yearn for something. And you want it so bad. And you've wanted it your whole life. And I was like, you know, if I could have anything in ministry, if I could have anything, that I just ask and you give it to me. What I want more than anything else is for the young people to experience your presence in such a way that it can't be denied. And that you take an unbeliever, an atheist, and in a moment's time, transform them into a believer in God and a child of God. That's what happened to me. That's my conversion. I was an atheist, and I didn't believe in God. And the presence of God came on me um, in a field party, and I stopped being an atheist and started believing in God through an experience. You know, and that might not be the most perfectly sound theological thing that happened, but that's what happened to me. And I believe, and I, I called out for that. You know, I cried out for that to God. You know, with yearning. You know. Because you know how I many know you can reach those points of honesty where you really talk to God and tell Him how you feel. And, and in that place, there's a safe place to, to vent and to complain and to moan and to groan and to even yell. I love David's relationship with God in that David allowed the intimacy of his relationship with God to be displayed to the masses. The, his, his wrestlings with God, wrestling with doubt and unbelief, wrestling with his own failure, wrestling with offense because he was used and abused and wanting a sense of justice. I mean, he talked to God and spoke to him out of his heart in a place of intimacy. And man, I really feel like God is drawing all of us into that place. I mean, you know, it's real easy to get superficial with everything. 
It's so easy to go through life and not live out of your heart. In fact, if you've been hurt a lot, it's safer, you think. If you've been hurt a lot, a lot of times you'll you'll withdraw and put on this mask of going through the motions because you don't want to put your heart in something because you don't want to be hurt again, you don't want to be disappointed again. It's just safer to kind of roll through like a robot and just do the, do, go through the motions of what you know is the right thing to do. And uh, how many know that that, no matter what it looks like, outwardly, is religion? How many know you can be, have a religious mindset in any type of environment of church? It can be as modern as you want, <laughs> smoke and lights and pajamas and pancakes and, or traditional or whatever, But if your mindset is going through the motions of relationship without having relationship and intimacy, you're not drawing strength from the Lord. And that is how the vines don't produce fruit. That's how we get shriveled up. That's how we get out in the hot sun and and we experience pain because of a perceived sense of separation that we might not even be aware of. That's the challenge with this intimacy thing. Like, I will have it for a while, and it'll be fantastic. And then slowly, I'll lose it. And I'm not really intimate. And I'm not talking about I'm, I'm, talking about I'm falling out with the Lord, and you know, I'm still serving God. I still preach three times a week. I still do all the stuff. I pray for people. I mean, this is my life. But you can do the stuff and not be doing it out of a place of intimacy. And that is a dangerous place. And the enemy is always trying to attack your intimacy. Because if he, can, if he can impact your intimacy with God, then he will impact your intimacy with other people. And you need, when I'm talking about intimacy, I'm talking about you being able to be yourself yeah. without any fear of repercussion about who you are. Yeah. That's it, right there. Where you are accepted, you are invited, and you are seated at the table. In a relationship. But I think we are good at it in a sense of theory. (laughs) Like I think that like as I'm saying this, we're all agreeing with what I'm saying because we know the intimate relationship with God is the whole purpose behind the gospel and His grace and His love and the things that we've been learning. But we can have a theory of that but not an experience of that. And it's in the experience where life is given. When I have intimate relationship with God, life is given to me out of that place of relationship. When I have intimate relationship with my wife, life is given to me out of that place of relationship. When I have intimate relationship with my children, life is given to me out of that relationship. And life is given to them too. Because it's real easy to fall into looking at each other as obligations or checklists or to-do sheets or... Um, And we can get caught up in the activity of being a, a mother, a father, a spouse, a friend, but not really be doing it out of our hearts and not doing it in a place of intimacy. And so, you know, man-made religion, it attacks intimacy because it, it actually robs you of it. I mean, if you're performing for somebody's love or acceptance, you can't enjoy that relationship. And we've all been in a position when we were in that place. 
Everyone here has made mistakes or said dumb things or did dumb things and put the person, other people in your life at a place where you're earning back trust. Maybe not everybody. There's probably a few people like my wife who's never betrayed anyone's trust in her entire life and was born with a halo around her head and is truly an angel of God. No, it's true. It is true. The worst thing that she ever did was meet me. No, no, but God redeemed me and redeemed us. And, but I mean, I was your worst influence. You were my best influence. But now we're both in Christ. I'm honoring you. It's true. It's not, I mean, those are just statements of fact. And um, it's true. And so anyway, but the enemy is always trying to bring that dynamic of performance into a relationship to rob you of intimacy. Because there's, 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 there's strength in intimacy. How many know you don't need to perform for God? You don't need to get Him to love you or to like you or even um, just grant you any of that. How many know He gave it to you before you deserved it and before you even wanted it? <laughs> when, when Jesus came to me, I was, a, I was an angry atheist. And I did not want God at all. And it just got dropped right in my lap. And I didn't earn it. I didn't want it. Now it's the, you know, obviously the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, but God's not waiting on you to act right Come on, to be your friend. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He might be the only person you have in your life like that. <laughs> Definitely to the level that he's at. But hopefully as we walk to the Lord, walk with the Lord, and the grace of God flows through. See, God wants to develop a grace dynamic in your relationships. A part of the healing of the gospel is not just healing your relationship with God, it's healing your relationship with each other. Because when you've had a dynamic of legalism or condemnation or performance in, in your relationship, that relationship is still experiencing a place of not being redeemed. It's not experiencing the redemptive life that God's grace and love and life gives. How does that happen? You start to receive grace and operate in grace and then that relationship starts to heal with your spouse, with your children. Um, how many know you cannot ever truly, in a healthy fashion, live in a state of thinking that anybody owes you anything because of who you are? You are not owed respect. You are not, I'm talking about within each other. You're not owed love from anybody. You can play those cards, but just because you demand it don't mean it's going to be fulfilled. It is the truth. It is the truth. You, you get, in the kingdom, you get by giving. You don't get respect by demanding it. You get respect by giving respect. And the reason that you are giving respect is because God has respected you first. And man, once you start to get a hold of that, and I'm talking about all these dynamics, then grace starts to flow into that, to your relationships and your behavior. Everybody say behavior. Under grace... Will change the relationship. Behavior. Behavior. How many of grace impacts your behavior? And as you sit under it, it sets you free from the dominion of sin. It sets you free from the worldly dynamics of meritocracy and earning it and performance and all these things. The total absence of love. And then you start to flow in that in your life and it brings healing. But the enemy is never just going to leave that alone like that's the end of the story oh, wow, you figured that out. You'll never have another problem again as long as you live. <laughs> I mean, nothing's ever like that, right? 
How I many you know just because you know about it, don't change the fact that he's going to try to attack it? He's trying to put a stranglehold on your intimacy with God and your intimacy with those around you because that's your lifeline of strength. It's true. And so we have to recognize the attack. Here's the number one thing don't take blame for the lack of intimacy. Don't take blame for the lack of intimacy. I'll, I'll expand on that. If you bring yourself into a place of condemnation because you're not being intimate with God, how I many you know that's like putting a straitjacket around you and commanding that you get free? Because there you are, you don't have intimacy, and you know you don't, and you're like, dang, I miss it. And, but then the enemy comes in to try to bring in condemnation that it's your fault because you're not enjoying intimacy. Listen, if you were never attacked by the enemy, then we'd all just keep moving forward and growing and growing and growing, and we'd look like Jesus in a short period of time in our conduct. But we have an adversary. So stop taking blame to yourself about a failure that's, been, that's happened in your life. And I'm telling you, this area of intimacy is always under attack, and it's real easy to be unaware of the fact that it's injured. Why? Because when you're not in a place of intimacy with God, you're not operating out of intimacy in your heart. And so you kind of, it's like I'm, God's given me unction to really talk about this, like the, the, the understanding behind what's actually going on. When you're in that place, you're not really living out of your heart. And you're fake. And it's exhausting to be fake. Isn't it? It's the most exhausting thing in the world to not be yourself. But that's what lack of intimacy always pulls us into. If I'm fake with God because I'm afraid of His condemnation, and then I'm fake with you, and I'm fake with my spouse, and I'm fake with everybody, how I many know I'm a very lonely person? I can be in a room full of people, but because of a lack of intimacy and connection, I could still feel just as lonely as if I were sitting by myself. In fact, more lonely. Because I should, feel, should not feel lonely. Y'all tracking me here? And so, what we're going to do, and what we've been doing, is we're pivoting to open up our hearts to receive healing for the purpose of reconnection and intimacy with God. And then thereby the same with each other. Y'all tracking me here? And um, how many know there's times when the, the signal needs to be repaired? You know, say the, uh, you ever had a frayed iPhone cord charger before? No, we don't allow those. Did they let you in here? Uh, security? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we say that to you too, Connie Redberg, if you're watching. She has an Android. I always give her a hard time too. But anyway, when, when, when the connection's off, how I many know there's no power flowing, right? We've all had that annoying cord before we're trying to um, charge our phones. God is looking to repair that today, amen? And he's been doing it the whole day. He's been doing it, you know, during worship, during uh, Teresa's, Teresa, Angie's time of sharing, Paul's time of sharing. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 2, please. And um, I just want to tag on to just a couple verses uh, in, in line with where we have been. Uh, God's just kind of been speaking prophetically about this and just kind of locating this in our hearts. 
uh, and that's for the purpose of healing. I mean, you can't be healed from something if you're not aware of it. Uh, you can physically, but emotionally there needs to be some awareness of what you're actually going through so that you can face it. Um, God, God's always had a heart for fellowship with man. And the reason that God has such a hunger for fellowship is you have to understand, how I many of oh, God is three parts? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How I many know that when He created everything, He said, we're going to create man in our image, after our likeness. God referred to Him in the plural sense. Referred to Himself in the plural sense. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How many know that He is one God? But how many know there's three parts? And how many know they have fellowship with each other? And that's the best part of their existence, is their fellowship with each other. In fact, their fellowship with each other was so sweet, they're like, we need to invite more people into this. That's why we're all here. We're being invited into the same fellowship that the Trinity enjoys in the person of Jesus Christ. And that fellowship is what eternal life is. It says we, you have eternal life because you have fellowship with the Father. And it's the best part of who God is and what God has, and it's the reason He made us, because He wants that deep place of intimacy. How many of you can see it? How many of you the Father loves the Son? And how many of the Son loves the Father? And, 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 and how many of we love the Holy Spirit? How many of we got to really kind of meet the Holy Spirit in person before we met the other parts of the Trinity? What are you talking about, Jeremiah? How many of Father God seated on the right hand? He's in heaven. Jesus is seated on the right hand of the Father. They are bodily there, but how many of the presence of God's in the earth? So uh, this life has been us being introduced to God's Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Isn't that beautiful? And so they have this fellowship within themselves, and they want to bring us into that place of fellowship, and it's the whole purpose of creation. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Check this out. Everybody think about this for just a moment. Father God is there. He's created everything. But he actually formed man's body out of the dust of the ground. He formed it. So there man is laying, lifeless. Father God is over him, and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. How many of the first thing Adam opens his eyes to see is his father's loving face? I mean, intimacy began there. No devil, no condemnation, no awareness of nakedness. Just a father and a son. Nothing else. Beautiful, perfect. Except it wasn't. Only thing God found fault with in creation. A man by himself. <laughs> he said, he needs someone to share his fellowship with. And so Eve was created. And then God said it was good. And so this, this, this place of intimacy and relationship was present between fa Father God, Adam and Eve. Everything is beautiful. Everything is perfect. But now the enemy has got to come in and attack intimacy. Because as long as they're intimate with each other, they're never going to fail. But intimacy was choked in Adam and in Eve through miscommunication. God told Adam, Adam's job was to tell Eve. Adam did not effectively convey to Eve because Eve had misrepresented facts about the situation. Eve thought, Eve said, if you touch it, you shall die. I mean, that is actually the platform that temptation comes into. 
Because when they touched it, they realized that that statement was true. So they kept moving forward. Do you see how subtle that lie is? And then they touched it, and then they ate it because touching it did not cause harm. Adam did not effectively convey to Eve all the details and she was not properly equipped to handle the misinformation that came. Now I'm not laying blame, but what I'm showing you is when intimate, the thing that destroys intimacy is improper communication. And so the enemy is always trying to attack communication for the purpose of destroying intimacy. A lot of your arguments aren't that you're saying something different and that you're saying it in a way that you can't understand. And you're saying the same thing. But the enemy's twisted your words or the way they were heard, the way they were received, the tone. Evil surmisings, that's where we start assuming people's motives are negative. All these things. And the purpose behind all of it is to destroy communication, to destroy intimacy, because intimacy is like, it's like a domino that, that, that goes through your life into other lives. See, when I first came to the Lord, I was a fatherless child, and I did not know how to have a father. And so I did not have the ability to connect with God in the intimate way as a father. I could, I could call him father, I could mention it, but in my thinking, there was no paradigm for father. And so there's a lack of intimacy that was there. I did not have the ability to immediately pass that on because I did not have that connected myself. And God had to connect it within me so that I could pass on that connection into my children. But it had to be fixed. I could see God as a friend. I couldn't see him as a father. But now, he's repaired that in me, and now I see him as a father, and I know what a father looks like because I've seen him, which allows me to be a father so that the, the, the connection of intimacy is not disrupted in my children or my children's children. Yeah, y'all seeing what I'm saying here? Y'all tracking me? This, um, this place of intimacy, it's looking at it maybe like a, a little bit of a different light, but you can see those same concepts you know, the greatest thing that we're facing in the earth right now, really, if we look at the root of the problem, is fatherlessness. Amen. Everybody wants to point at everything else, but the real issue is the pandemic of fathers. And, and because there's fatherlessness in the earth, that's what's created the scenario that's become so dangerous. This is the most fatherless generation our world has ever known. And, and, and the common denominator amongst so many things Prison time, fatherlessness. I mean, I could just, there's so many facts concerning it. And it's like the, it's like the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. So you can't, take, you can't make no money talking about how we need more dads. <laughs> you can advertise and make money saying what you need is this, what you need is that, what you need is this. But really, you know what we need? We need fathers. Who's going to fix that problem? God is. That's what he said he was going to do for return. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. Yeah. That is a part of what's going to happen as these young people get absolutely drenched in God's presence and they get saved. They're going to find their dad Hallelujah. in a moment of time, Hallelujah. in one hug from, from Father God. Yes. Yes. 
Say, you're my kid. Come to me. You don't got to live like that. You don't got to stay like that. You have more value than that. When daddy God comes down and starts hugging his kids, can the rebellion stay? No. Can the sin stay? No. Can the addiction stay? No, it can't stay anymore. Because their dad is there. You know, most of our family life, Stacy is the absolute superstar. And I'm a distant second. It's the truth. Not, not with Ethan. Me and Ethan, we, we're, we've bonded. We're buddies now. But with the little kids, mom is one, dad is like two. And that's okay. But at night, when Eli's having a nightmare and something like that's going on, you know who he wants? Daddy. Because there's something in a dad that can provide a sense of security and love that a mom can't do. And here's the thing. There's not a dad in this room that's strong enough to provide what God's asking. And we got some great fathers in this room. So this isn't going to be done upon the shoulders of men. <laughs> Father God is going to come down and father these children through His presence and also through us. But Father God's going to be the number, He's going to be the primary connection. Mm. So beautiful, isn't it? Aren't y'all ready to see it? Yes, it's real close. It's real close, man. It's, um, it's very close. Praise God. So good. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3, please. So the enemy is trying to inject an attack on intimacy in your relationship at all times, because when he impacts that, he impacts all your other relationships. In Genesis chapter 3, it said, They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Now, here we see that the lie was given, the bait was taken, and the primary thing that was destroyed was intimacy with God. Their relationship didn't, didn't change. It was still children and father. Relationally, they were the same. Okay? God still showed up to meet with them. His end wasn't broken. I'm dad, here I come. Cool of the day. So, but what was broken was Adam was no longer experiencing God's love for himself. Adam was afraid of God's punishment. And when God came down, He didn't come to punish Adam. He came to help Adam find out where he was located. Because Adam had dropped out of intimacy with God and he, he didn't even... God came to him and asked him a question. He said, where are you, Adam? Now, how many know God knows where Adam is? God knows everything, right? He's saying to Adam, where are you, Adam? Because he didn't even know what he had lost. He didn't even know that, that intimacy had been taken from him. And here he was running around like a vigilante lawbreaker, and he's a son. Who's laughing? The devil. Who's in the background? Yes. I've destroyed them from intimacy. 
And now we've had several thousand years of a lack of intimacy with God. And a lack of even just people knowing who God is. How many of the prevalent thought process in mankind is the same thought process that was in Adam after he fell? If there is a God, He hates me and He wants to punish me. It's everywhere. You don't got to teach it in school. It's in the air. You don't got to teach anybody to be afraid of punishment. And yet the whole time, God never wanted to punish man. God wanted to punish sin. And He punished sin in the body of His Son. Sin was punished. And it wasn't just punished, it was killed. (laughs) Sin as a noun is now dead. The person of sin is dead. Now the deception of sin is still present, and the action of sin is still present. But sin itself is dead. And that's why anybody can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and get saved and be forgiven and be cleansed and be brought into a place of intimacy with God. So intimacy is where the power is at. That's what's been under attack. Condemnation came. There's a separation that's happened, but it hasn't happened in God. It's actually happened in man. And so now, here's the thing. There's a lack of intimacy with God. So now you know what's going to happen to Adam? He's going to have a lack of intimacy with his wife. Because the connection of intimacy with God has been broken. And so now we're going to see this past in the other dynamics of relationship that he has. And so, verse 9, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me of the trees, and I ate. So I want to show you here. This man is not looking at her as his helpmeet, as his a part of him. Because how many know in God's eyes, they were one? They weren't two, they were one, because that's how God makes us. And they were, they were one, but because of the presence of condemnation and because of intimacy with God had been destroyed, Adam begins to attack himself by attacking his wife. And he doesn't just stop with attacking her. He actually begins to attack God as well. That woman that you gave me. Here is a man who has lost intimacy with God and he's entered into, honestly, almost a place of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is one of the, one of the ways that intimacy is destroyed. We've talked a lot about condemnation. Self-righteousness is the response to condemnation when you have an unrenewed mind to the gospel and grace. Because when you enter into condemnation, you enter into this like <clears throat> performance mode of, I'm going to be better than all the other Christians. I'm going to be better than everybody else. And that's what's going to make me right. And the reason that people are driven like that is they're coming out of a place of feeling like they need to add something to what Jesus has done. I was just talking about dead works. And so he entered into a place of self-righteousness, and he accuses God, and he accuses his wife and, and immediately, we see mankind tumble for the next several thousand years. Just down that same path of no intimacy with God, no intimacy with each other, 
I mean, how does somebody kill somebody? You know how someone kills somebody? They, they, they have grown so cold in their hearts to the value of a human being. The reason that these things are plausible or even happen is because people have had a lack of intimacy in their lives. And God wants to restore that. God wants to change that. And so, in the presence of condemnation, those things are going to be there. And we want to take a stand against that. We want to keep the enemy completely out. Now turn to Philippians chapter 3, please. And I want to talk about the answer. Can I get an amen on the answer? <laughs> How many know we've diagnosed the problem extensively? We've diagnosed it within ourselves. We've diagnosed it within our culture. We've diagnosed it in the world. We all see what we need. Let's find out how we get it. Amen? <clears throat> how many know when we get to this point, the answer should always be Jesus? <laughs> if something's added in here other than Jesus, it's not valid. It's not valid. So we're going to come and talk about Jesus. Because how many know Jesus is the one that restored intimacy? When he walked the earth, he said, he, how many, he, he, he displayed this intimate relationship with Father God. I mean, he showcased it. He came down in a place of intimacy, and that's why he had such a place of power, because he operated out of a place of intimacy. And how I many know Jesus could, Jesus could experience no condemnation because he never sinned? He was born righteous, he lived righteous, he died righteous. Amen? And so his relationship with God was never under attack in the form of condemnation. How I many it was in the, in, in the form of attack for performance? When the enemy met Jesus in the wilderness to tempt him, he tempted him in performance. He knew he couldn't condemn him. He knew he couldn't get him to take the bait on sin. And so he tried to get him to turn bread into, excuse me, turn stones into bread to prove that he was the Son of God. See, how many know, once again, how many know if, if Jesus embraced performance in his relationship with God, it was still intimacy? And that's why when God began Jesus' ministry, he, he confirmed his identity. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Before he did one single thing, God said, you have my pleasure and you have my love. How I many know oh, that's, that's one of the things that kept him from performing to prove he was the son? How I many know oh, he didn't have to perform? And so he passed that and he maintained intimacy. And so those are the two things that's going to pull you out of intimacy is condemnation and performance, right? And they, and they work hand in hand together. And then the next thing that will pull you out of that place of, of, of intimacy is offense and offense. <laughs> it gets two. Condemnation, performance, offense. When those things are present, there's a lack of intimacy that's going on there. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. Let's talk about the answer. Talk about Jesus. And um, Paul is laying out his pedigree for self-righteousness, all the things that he did. Circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, touching the law blameless. He is laying out his credentials, and then he's crumbling his credentials up and throwing them in the trash can in the same paragraph. He said, but I will be found in Jesus, not having my own righteousness, but having his righteousness. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the place where intimacy begins. 
is that place where you crumple up your lists of why you're awesome Christian person. Or you crumple up your lists of why you're awful Christian person. Because <laughs> both lists take away from the primary purpose of your, of your being. You're not called to stare at your lists. You're called to stare at Jesus Christ. Look at Jesus and crumple your lists and throw them away. Don't get caught up in your failure and don't get caught up in your hype. <laughs> it's a truth, man. You're better off just focusing on the Lord because you're going to have days where, you do, where you're awesome and you're going to have days when you're not. <laughs> so both lists grow every day. The naughty list and the nice list, they both grow every day. <laughs> oh, man. And yet we put our eyes on Jesus. And that's where it... So how many know the naughty list, the things that you've done and your mistakes, how many of you drag you into condemnation and destroy intimacy? How many know your, your, your good list, all the good things that you've done, all the, all the things that you can lay out that you've done that are good, how many know that will pull you away from intimacy as well? Because it will put you into a place of performance. <clears throat> Philippians 3.9, it says, And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. That I may know Him. That I may know Him. See, how many know as a Pharisee zealous for God, Paul did not know God at all? In fact, when he met God, he tried to kill Him. But this is a man who's zealous for God. But it's a man who's zealous for God with zero intimacy with God. Wouldn't know who God was if he met him in the streets. But a power encounter with God changed the man and brought him to a place of intimacy. I mean, Paul didn't do anything to deserve his getting knocked off the donkey experience. God himself spoke to the man. God himself put his power on the man. Is there anything that man did to deserve that? Such good news, isn't it? And then he became intimate. And then he became to know him. But he recognized that that place of intimacy is only going to remain vital and alive. I mean, oh, if, you, if, you, um, if you injure, say you have a flower, and it's um, growing in the ground, and you injure the stem that the flower is on, and it, that flower starts to fall, and its life source has been damaged. I mean, oh, it's still a flower, but it's in the process of dying. And when intimacy has been damaged, things are in the process of dying. And I don't mean that in some morbid sense, but I mean that, how I many know you can be in a place where you're not really receiving that life flow from God's love for you? And how I many know you can be in a place where you're not really passing that flow on to other people's lives? And in fact, I feel like when, when someone's in a state of condemnation, they can very much draw into themselves. They can very much really struggle with being around people, period because they don't feel good enough, they don't feel worthy enough. And so um, when the enemy brings that in, it's for the purpose of separation. But the thing that maintains this is how many know that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? You didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. You received it as a free gift. Can I get an amen? I mean, you don't have to perform for God. You don't have to do anything for God. It's all for free and it's all yours. 
I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. We all got the same place at the table. Come and eat. Can I get an amen? That's everything. God doesn't just do miracles, you know, for, for Michelle and for Angie. How many of y'all God has miracles for all of us? Can I get an amen? Entering into a miracle season. Don't allow hope deferred to, to make your heart sick in the day of God's visitation. I mean, you know, there were ten virgins. Five were prepared, five were not. And that doesn't mean they weren't still virgins. It doesn't mean that they weren't still invited. But we're in a season of drawing near to the Lord in a place of relationship because we're going to enter into a miracle season. Amen? Amen. James 5, and we close. We talked about the restoration of relationship with God. That's the, actually, that's the easiest restoration, honestly, because God doesn't change. <laughs> God loves you today. God will love you tomorrow. Your sin has been forgiven today. Your sin, is, your sin will be forgiven tomorrow. You're in a state of eternal forgiveness. God's the constant. The challenge is repairing relationships with each other where intimacy has been destroyed. James chapter 5, and it talks about a different kind of healing. And we're going to close right here. James chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is a type of ministry the current worldwide church doesn't know much about. But this type of ministry built into a group of people brings forth some of the most powerful emotional healing that's on the table for any human being. And it's where you get in an environment where you can trust people with your weakness and you can tell people what you've been struggling with and just own up to what's really going on. And if you can get around people who trust you, you trust, and who love you, and who believe the best about you, then they can hear your confession and it won't take a one tiny little smidget away from who they know you are. And so they will speak words of grace to restore your identity to your own mind. Because the only reason you entered into that behavior is you forgot who you were. No other reason. As a child of God. And so, this place of healing is rare because most of us have been more able to tr trust somebody sitting next to us on a bar stool than in a pew. Come on. Come on. <laughs> because church, where there ain't no gospel and there ain't no Jesus and there ain't no righteousness, which is a faith. Did you like that, Grant? That line's a shout out to you, brother. It's the Eastern Catania. <laughs> Just kidding, brother. <laughs> I felt the anointing of Grant Fraley come on, man. Just kidding, man. But I, I want to say it like that. I want to, there's an emphasis there. How I many know that God takes the foolish things to confound the wise? Wouldn't God just take a place like Kentucky to pour out His Spirit to humble all the elite people in the earth who look down on us like we're just horse, horse manure, hillbillies, no shoes? Come on, man. Sounds like Nazareth, doesn't it? 
I bet they talked about Nazareth. I bet Nazareth had its own, like, country music. You know what I'm saying? Like, ain't nothing good happen in Nazareth. Please tell me I'm being funny, Grant. <laughs> I just need Grant to laugh. I don't need everybody else to laugh. I just need Grant to laugh. I'm sorry. But that's what God does. I'm a big example of that. Drug addict, alcoholic, atheist. God set me free. Now I'm preaching the gospel that I used to attack. I mean, we're all examples of God's grace, man. And um, God wants to bring forth, let us have this type of feeling in our lives. Because see, the thing about it is like, when you're in that place and you're struggling with something and you're not talking to anybody about it, then what's happening is you have to bear it alone. And you can't really receive anybody's help. And the reality is you need help and you need to be able to invite somebody into that place. Uh, because when you do, it says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's a healing that happens when you open up what's really going on in your heart. And, and really the whole purpose of the church is really trying to cultivate an atmosphere where this can happen. And it's not something that just happens in the church service itself. It's something that happens you know, in people's homes, in Bible studies, over, you know, over dinner, over lunch, uh, you know, when you're wearing pajamas and eating pancakes and just, you know what I'm saying, just fellowship of life. God wants that for us to bring forth a place of healing. And... Um, it's a powerful thing, but it's, it, many times it's something that has to be spirit-led. How many know you're not called to trust everybody? There's no place in Scripture where it says trust everybody. Man, you take a walk through Proverbs, and Proverbs is, is, is full of examples of people you're not supposed to trust. And um, the love is unconditional, but the trust is not. And so God will lead you by His Spirit to a place of honesty and transparency and openness to where you can really talk about something that you're struggling with with somebody who will actually minister this healing to you. One of, we know one of the ways they minister healing to you is they don't condemn you. They don't judge you. They just point you to Jesus. That's it. That's really the whole purpose. And it actually takes an element. This is one of the higher levels of spiritual maturity is being able to restore somebody that's fallen, according to Galatians chapter 6. Being able to look past the failure. How many of the church at large has been, we're excellent at condemning people? <laughs> we're so good at it, man. We're good at condemning ourselves, condemning each other. And it's like, man, the church has just been throwing death for centuries. I mean, it's time to start justifying each other, man, and not be afraid of the good news of the gospel. But this place of healing is a place of transparency and a place of openness. And it's just a beautiful thing, man. And, and God, God loves us so much, He wants to bring that into our lives. And so I encourage you, as you are led, if you want to talk to somebody about something that you're dealing with, there's all types of avenues that we can do that. And um, just open up about what's going on in your life. If you, if you are feel led to, you know, always make sure that you feel led to. But in, in, in the very final thing, in closing here, um, what happens to destroy intimacy is something called hardness of heart. And that happens a couple different ways, but that's what actually causes intimacy to, to draw up. Because when someone is, is uh, operating in a place of hardness of heart, they're not really living out of their heart. A lot of times they're actually living out of their carnal mind. I've been there before. And they're not real, their heart's not invested in what they're doing. But um, in Hebrews 3 and verse 12, it says, Take heed, brethren, lest there mean any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. 
but exhort one another daily why it's called today, lest any of you being hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And so there's something about sin that brings in condemnation. And when someone's in a place of condemnation, how many know they can lose the taste for the things of God? How many know worldly things can start to taste better? Because you just, you're, you're in that place of condemnation. And so in that place of a lack of intimacy, you can actually even lose a hunger for intimacy. And you can end up trying to get that need satisfied in other ways. And, and reality is it, it's, it's a place where God is, he, you're in a, a place where you need help. We've all been there multiple times. Everybody in this room has been what I'm talking about right now. We can never pretend like we don't all go through this. Because if we do, we'll lose the opportunity to be real with each other. <laughs> Y'all tracking me here. We have to be honest with this. Everybody's been through this. And then the next response, which we talked about earlier, was self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is a response to a lack of intimacy with God. If you find yourself condemning people and judging people and fault-finding and being critical, I encourage you that you might be experiencing condemnation and you don't realize it. See, not everybody experiences condemnation and internalizes it. Some people experience condemnation and externalize it. We talk about Jeremiah. They rip everybody else apart because they feel bad about themselves. Different people handle it different ways. But sometimes when you're, when you're getting mad at your kids real quick, what the reality is you're just mad at yourself. I know it hurts. It's, I've experienced the same thing. When you're getting mad at your spouse, you're frustrated with your spouse, really you're just mad at yourself. Yep. How I many we, we should be we should expose all ways the enemy tries to bring this poison into our lives. This is his only attack, guys. He can't beat the cross. He lost there. Amen. That game's over. This is the final battle. Condemnation. We just we have to get skilled at actually realizing that it's there. That's the worst part about it, I think. It's just like Adam did not realize he lost intimacy. And God had to say, where are you, man? And how many other times in our life when God will come to us like that, where are you? And it's for the purpose of shaking us back into reality and being like, man, I, I, I forgot how good it was to walk with you in the cool of the day and to know you and to speak to you and to yearn for you, not just serve you. Anybody ever had a time where you forgot about that place? And you just went through the motions? And then you got restored? That's happened to me over and over again throughout my whole life. Same thing for, for the love walk. I have periods in my life when I'm really walking in love, my life's great. And then I, then I stop doing it. <laughs> and I'm selfish. And I have flashes where there's a little bit of love there. But as a whole, not like it was in that other season. And you know, I'm never as happy in the season where I'm selfish is when I'm, the love's flowing through me. The love is what makes my life worth living. And how I many of you can jumpstart your love with an action? You want to jumpstart your love? Give into somebody's life. Yeah, it is, man. I've had moments in my life where you can learn this, and like where I was really down or I was really struggling, and God would be like, I want you to bless somebody. Like, go, go find somebody to be a blessing to. And it doesn't have to be some extremity. I mean, I'm just getting the door for somebody, just picking something up for somebody, calling somebody, loving on somebody, helping somebody. You get free from yourself. <laughs> God, 
Love provides that. And I have moments where I'm flowing in that. And then, I, and then it's like I have moments where I've been walking on dry ground for a few months. And I didn't even realize I had lost what I once had. Am I the only person that's experienced this? You know what I'm saying? I feel like this is what... And then, I, and then God's got to tap me on the shoulder and be like, where are you? And I'm like, well, I'm right here serving you, Lord. I'm right here. I'm a good Christian person. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm right here. But I'm not. Y'all tracking? And the Lord speaks and says, where are you? And those moments provide for us an avenue of escape. I'm talking about escape from the destruction of that place of intimacy. See, you don't know you need it until God reminds you you don't have it. You don't know you need it until God reminds you you don't have it. I'm going to say that one more time. You don't know you need it until God reminds you you don't have it. And when God spoke to Adam and said, where are you? He was reminding him of what he had lost. Because he was about to just go through his life like nothing had really changed. Even though he was living in a state of fear. God does not want that for us. And those are symptoms of it. Condemnation. Loss of desire for the things of God. Self-righteousness in attempt to establish your own righteousness and establish your own vindication. And then the last thing, bitterness and offense. And that's the last thing I'm going to talk about real quick. The enemy wants to get you offended at anybody and anything. It doesn't matter where it comes from as long as he can get it in your heart. He don't care if it's with a Christian, with a politician, with somebody in traffic, with a teacher, with a coworker, with a friend, with your own coffee, <laughs> whatever he can get you offended at, he doesn't care because he's looking to drop the offense in your heart. Because when you're in it, listen to me, when you are offended, you are not in a place of intimacy with God because your question to God is, God, where were you when that happened to me? And so if he can get you offended at injustice, then you'll be hesitant to embrace him because you're upset at something that's happened in this world or happened to you personally. You have to understand some things about debt. Number one, nobody owes you anything. God doesn't owe you anything. I mean, God owes you nothing. Owes none of us anything. I mean, he wants to give us everything for free through Jesus Christ. And how I many know no one in here owes you anything? Nobody owes you forgiveness. Nobody owes you love. Nobody owes you respect. See, Jesus set all accounts at the cross 2,000 years ago. Every per, every, everything you're offended at has already been dealt with on the cross. Every sin, every transgression, all it's all been dealt with on the cross. All of it has been completely dealt with. So now, to, to receive Jesus means you release everyone from wronging you ever because Jesus picked up the tap for all the wrongs of all mankind in the earth. 
And then he released the people that were there. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. He came in like a bomb of forgiveness and blanketed the world. And I'll pick up the tab on everybody's wrongdoings. Put it on me. And in doing that, you now have no right to ever be offended at anybody, ever, for anything. Because you've been forgiven much. You've been forgiven much. So if I go and have art against somebody, say, hey, you did that. I'm, I am mad at you. I'm against you. I hate you. I judge you. All of these expressions of anger. Now, I'm not saying you don't. How I many know oh, we need to hate evil and love good? Can I get an amen? I'm not pulling back from that whatsoever. But when the enemy can get us into a place of attacking an individual out of an offended heart, then it's like me coming to Dan. Let's say Brian paid off a $255,000 debt that I owed for no reason whatsoever, just paid it off. And then Dan owed me five bucks. Dan's the wrong person to pick because Dan's a large man. Somebody else. <laughs> I wouldn't mess with Dan, right? But if I came up to Dan and I started yelling at him and being angry towards him because he owed me five bucks, how many of you know I am totally insulting the debt that was canceled to me by Brian? She, she making a, you making a run for it? What you doing? <laughs> hey man, I thought she's going to bum rush the stage, man. That's like the only thing she hasn't done yet. <laughs> That's the last thing. She's waiting until she's two. <laughs> um, but anyway, that place of forgiveness, how many know you can keep your heart free from that? You can make a decision to... to how many know a part of honoring the cross is forgiveness? I'm not talking about just receiving it. How many know it's giving it? When I, when I give forgiveness, I honor the cross. When I give forgiveness, I'm saying the cross did a good job. When I give forgiveness, I'm, I'm setting myself free. How I many know no one can hurt you that you're not offended at? But if you're offended at somebody, they're hurting you right now. Yep. How you know, Jeremiah? Because they are living in your head, seated in the corner, hurting you because they're in your thoughts. You cannot get free from thinking about them until you release them. I've had things happen to me in my life that if I thought about those things all the time, I would have went crazy. I, and, I, and, I would have, and I would have left serving God, and I would have just been like Job, curse God and die and walk away. If I would have allowed those people to live inside of me like that. How do you get them out of your head? You forgive them. The same forgiveness that came to you through the cross, you release it to them. And then if you want to take a step further, you start to think about the way God feels about them and how much God loves them. And then you realize that all the love that you've been enjoying is directed exactly at them the same way it's directed to you. Can you love them and pray for them who despitefully use you? They are not the enemy. The enemy is a deception. The enemy is the devil. I am anticipating the biggest harvest of souls this world has ever seen in any lifetime. Yep. Come on, a billion people getting saved. Yep. Right out of the trenches of deception and all that craziness that's in the world. 
What if God goes and just sits on them like he did Paul? What's going to happen to them? They're going to get saved. And some of them probably end up being preachers. Do you think God can do it? I think he is. And when he does it, he will once again establish, I'm God. <laughs> the heathen rage and imagine a vain thing, but I'm God. How many of you going to do that? That's the whole purpose of the kingdom. The kingdom is him saying, I'm God. I hate sickness. I'm God. I hate addiction. I hate evil. Y'all tracking me here? Amen. All right. Praise God. It's a little different this morning, wasn't it? Must have been the pajamas. We need to wear pajamas next week, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. The prophetic shows up when you wear pajamas. But don't you know somebody would create a, a denomination out of that? We'd be the pajama. Help me out. The pajama prophets. Oh, gosh, that's bad. That's so bad. Let that never be spoken again. <laughs> oh, that's good. Anyway, praise God. If you need to give an envelope this morning, lift your hand up. We'll get one to you. Those of you that are watching online, you can give uh, at gracepointgeorgetown.com. What we're going to do, we're going we're gonna to finish this, and we're going to cut everything here, and then we're going to play some music in the back. We're just going to take a moment to get before the Lord, if you have time to do that. If you don't have time to do that, then please feel free to exit, grab a pancake on your way out. Uh, you know, we love you, but we're just going to give an opportunity for some people who want to be ministered to by the Spirit, and we don't not have any worship up here, which will give Brian an opportunity to pray, you know, which will give Hannah an opportunity to pray, amen? And, uh, and so, yeah, that's just what we felt led to do today. How many of these are different times, amen? They really are. Um, so anyway, um, Paul, can you get the offering? Pretty please. Were you collected or somebody collecting it? Dan's got it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Angie, will you? I guess we only have one announcement, right? This Saturday we have a Christmas Eve service. Six o'clock right here. And um, it's going to be really fun. It's going to be cool. And then we'll have no service on Sunday. You guys just enjoy your families. Enjoy being at home. And so we'll have a New Year's Eve service, six o'clock right here in the church. And uh, it's going to be really cool. Yeah. I keep saying New Year's Eve. I'm sorry. It's Christmas Eve. It's Christmas Eve. I say New Year's every single time. Is there anything you want to add to that, Angie? Am I missing something? Okay. That's pretty simple. Yeah, we will. We'll finish doing this real quick. So, did you end online already? We can go ahead and end that. God bless you guys. Love y'all. If you need prayer. Reach out to us. Shout out to us. Amen. All right, cool.